Come on, man. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 161 of the Patriot Review, The Road to Restoring the Family. And we're going to have uh, former California Senator Mike Morell on in a little bit, but we're going to go through what we always go through. First of all, happy Monday. Monday, Monday. Everybody's excited about Monday, I bet. Um, it's always... It's always fun after a weekend to get yourself out of bed and um, do your thing. But um, so there's a lot of stories we're going to get to. So I am just going to do exactly that. All right. Probably the biggest news uh, Friday forward is Texas AG Ken Paxton being cleared on all of the alleged acts that um, the left said that he did the 16 articles uh, I'm going to read just some of this so the charges dealt of course with allegations of corruption obstruction and bribery and other abuses of office that were related to the FBI's investigation of the a real estate developer who was also one of the Attorney General's uh, campaign contributors um, man you know when they're looking at um, and allegations of inappropriate or illegal behavior when it comes to money there seems to be somebody else that comes to mind that the FBI and the DOJ might want to check out uh, what's his name uh, yeah that Joe guy yeah they might want to check him out but God forbid they do that and um, the only reason why Hunter is up on the weapons charges is because those are the charges that they can't link to Joe in any way so they're wasting time and um, we're not so stupid as to fall for that so while the GOP led house was able to obtain an impeachment uh, things were markedly different in the Senate not only did this the state Senate which acted as a jury not reach the, the supermajority of 21 out of 30 votes necessary to convict on a single article they couldn't even get a simple majority to vote for the conviction of any of them uh, so today the truth prevailed Paxton said the truth could not be buried by this miss um, the mudslinging politicians or their powerful benefactors I've said many times seek the truth and that is what we accomplished he goes on to basically put Joe Biden on notice and the Biden administration on notice that he's going to continue to be now one of the more aggressive um, DAs and go after some of the policies that are AGs go after some of the policies that um, he has went back back after in the past so looking at immigration of course is a huge concern down there in Texas I should say illegal 
uh, illegal border crossings because it's not true immigration. We don't follow our system as we should. And it's just one of those situations, I think, as far as that's concerned, that, you know, it's a it's a matter of the law is not broken. The law just needs to be enforced. And, um, you know, the the fact is that Biden had everything all set for him. If he would have came into office and not changed a thing when it came to the border, uh, it, things would be much, much better off, of course. But he is Joe Biden and he is really a puppet and can't help himself and uh, here we sit with all these problems all right so another article doj conceals information about january 6th defendants sentencing hearing and this is a rather bizarre move an individual was convicted and sentenced for his participation in the january 6th riot at the u.s capitol building in secret so I don't know what it is, and it doesn't seem like people know what it is yet as to why that was kept in, in secret. But uh, Samuel Lazar's case, while not being widely covered by the press, creates even more questions about the fallout from the incident, which still remains a prominent topic in political discussion more than two years after it happened. Lazar, 37, uh, from Pennsylvania was arrested in July of 2021 on charges that he came to the Capitol on January 6th dressed in tactical gear and protective goggles and used chemical spray on officers. So this saga continues and as you know uh, for those of you watching on Blessed on News this is uh, near and dear to our hearts as Jake Lang is the founder of the channel and uh, we'll be watching all these as they go and it's rather important to to uh, the track i think uh and we're looking for trump to exonerate and pardon these people when he gets in office all right so here we have an assassination plot of a candidate and this is of course uh, robert kennedy jr uh this is uh, friday night in los angeles law enforcement officials apprehended an individual who was in possession of a weapon and had made fraudulent assertions of affiliation with a, with the security personnel of Robert Kennedy Jr. The incident occurred in close proximity to a location where the Democratic contender for the 2024 presidential election was delivering a public address and within a two-mile radius of the site where his father, Senator Robert F. Kennedy, was tragically slain in 1968. So, you know, this one kind of threw me a curveball because... Uh, it did and it didn't because of the Kennedy name, but we've been talking a lot about how, you know, President Trump needs to watch out for uh, some kind of assassination plot or attempt. And I'm sure that, you know, that that is uh, something that we probably don't hear a lot about, that uh, they are obviously um, secure. Uh, there's more security presence around him, especially if you would have watched the, uh, the, the tour that he did and the appearance that he did in Iowa. And, uh, you know, you see uh, armed secret service agents and police that uh, have automatic weapons and, you know, they weren't playing around whatsoever. And that's a good thing. And you have to also remember here that Biden was the, the one who refused to give uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. secret service protection. And here you go. You know, some, somebody, some nut job wants to be famous. In the meantime, the DNC is doing all it's can all it can to throw hurdles in the way of Robert Kennedy Jr. They don't want they don't want anybody at, at this point, uh, or at least not him. 
you know, going up against Biden for the 2024 presidential run. So these things are uh, evolving, of course, and we'll keep an eye on them. Um, I'll be taking a quick break here, and then we'll be back with Senator Morrell. we watched our daughter Grace die on FaceTime, I uh, immediately felt that I needed to go to the hospital, though I was still pretty sick. And I met Jessica and our pastor there, and um, while we were in the room, we, Jessica and I let us spend a few moments just with Grace alone, and it was, it was just a horrific um, sight to come upon was the fact that her daughter Grace was now gone. Um, the emotions that came over the top of our uh, minds and just our physical bodies were just unbelief. We, uh, we took her BiPAP off because it was still on. This was hope and prayers that somehow she wasn't really gone and as soon as we did that the color of grace changed and um, we had to accept that she was truly gone. Not one person stepped foot in that room. How can you do that? How can you allow an innocent person, a child, she's only 19 years old, die in front of your eyes? You don't do that. If you're human, you don't do that. They knew they weren't going to convince us to put Grace on a ventilator. That means the money was going to dry up. They had to have the money. And when you follow the money trail all the way through, you see that a ventilator is about a $300,000 decision. That they had higher paying patients in the emergency room. Grace was worth more dead than alive. We don't just need food, we need to eat food with a high nutritional value. Who wants to just survive food shortages? Let's thrive in times of adversity and lack. Optimize your daily nutrition and ensure you and your family have our two-year shelf-stable kingdom fuel as a cornerstone of your emergency food supply. Don't sacrifice your health or your taste buds. Stock up on kingdom fuel now. Ignore the thought police and subscribe or follow the Patriot Review. It's your patriotic duty. All right, I am back. We're going to have uh, Senator Morrell join us now. Mike Morrell, from the former senator from California. Make sure we got him in here. Well, it looks like he's away from his computer. Um, so I'll just introduce him as he 
takes care of whatever he needs to take care of there. So uh, Senator Morrell, uh, he was in California, as I mentioned, and man, anybody who can do that in California and be a, a staunch advocate of conservative policy is a hero in my book, but served as a housing vice chair, labor, public employment and retirement, also vice chair, banking and financial institutions, budget and fiscal review, energy, utilities and communications, environmental safety and toxic materials, uh, health as vice chair again, jobs, economic development and the economy, uh, joint sunset review, public safety and transportation. It was named legislator of the year by the Military Officers Association of America. Additionally, he has been recognized as AMPAC Connecting Faith and Business Community Leader of the Year, a National Federation of Independent Business, so NFIB, Guardian of Small Business, and received awards from the California Senior Legislature and California Association of Licensed Investigators. He also holds the highest lifetime vote rating, and this is the one that's impressive to me, holds the highest lifetime vote rating from the American Conservative Union and his wife Joni and he, he have four children. Senator Mike Morrell joins me now. Welcome to the Patriot Review, Senator. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Good morning, good morning. It's good to be here. It's my pleasure. You know, I just ran through the, the litany of accomplishments that you have had and uh, I have to say I'm impressed, especially you, you have to have uh, the fortitude of um, I don't know, uh, Schwarzenegger maybe? I mean, he's kind of out there, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to, to, to do what you do in California is, is just, uh, it's asking for attention, I think. But thank you so much for what you've done in the past and standing up and what you're doing now. And you're, you're fighting and you're fighting maybe a little bit different battle, but for the same reasons, I think. And that is, you have written a book called The Road to Restoring Family the family and you and I I think would sync very well on this topic because I was describing how um, you know when you when you sit down you think about what your legacy should be there's no better legacy than than fighting for the freedom of future generations and uh, so thank you again for being here and um, I'd like to talk with you about your book and about what you see our current situation being in America today, and maybe we'll start with that. What is the uh, what is the primary focus or the primary um, reason for you speaking up and and speaking out, and um, the the primary challenges that you think exist for all of us Americans today? Well, um, um, you hit the nail on the head uh, when you said. Um, legacy. Uh, years ago, I was looking as a young man in my late 20s, what's, what am I here on earth for? And I would pray and kind of see God, you know, what purpose did you, and, and finally, I think I got an answer that my whole duty in life was according to the book of Proverbs, where the wisdom of Solomon says the duty of a father is to leave an inheritance to his children's children. So, I mean, that took me into business, that took me into the state senate, and when I got out of the state Senate, I'm, I'm doing consulting now for the Republican Party, as well as I wrote the book, because, to, you know, strong families will make for a strong America. Uh, uh, Frederick Douglass said that um, it's easier to build a strong family than it is have to repair broken men. And we have a lot of broken people 
due to divorces today. Majority of men in prison come from fatherless homes. So I thought it'd be a good book to write to my kids and my grandkids because I wanted to leave them the best possible advice uh, matters regarding financially, um, spiritually, morally. I have three chapters on education. And, and what I did is I didn't write it from my wisdom. I stood on the collective shoulders of those who possess a superior wisdom than Mike Morrell. So when I wrote about politics, I went to the, the, the home of politics, and that was Greece, Athens, right? And I stood on the shoulders and thought, what did Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates say about uh, freedom and, and politics? And then I went all through history, through Lincoln, uh, Churchill, Ronald Reagan, and then I brought in the scriptures where appropriately. And I did the same thing in education. Uh, I borrow a phrase from the Declaration of Independence that there is self-evident truth in the world, and it can be found upon in the first paragraph of the Declaration, the laws of nature, nature's God, meaning there is self-evident truth in history, human nature, and standing on the shoulders of people who possess superior wisdom than me. And, um, and ultimately, that truth comes from the God of nature. And so I, I did my best to give them the best possible advice, again, not from my mind, but from the wisdom of others. Um, because I want them to have a, a, a look at this culture is very dangerous right now for um, for you and I, for our kids, for our grandkids. Um, and so um, we have to do something. Right. And so that's why I wanted to write this for my kids to remind my grandkids how to how to get through life in a very difficult culture that we live in. I want to increase their percentages. Of, of surviving and thriving during this culture. And then, of course, I hope that it helps other families too. Um, so that's the first answer to your question. The second is, we're in a lot of trouble because I, I when you asked that question, the first thing that came to my mind was, um, was I think it was 1863, Abraham Lincoln called for a national day of prayer and fasting. And uh, he said that we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace, right? We've become too proud, too financially rich uh, to pray to the God who, who, you know, who has helped us. And so I think that's what's happened. We, we've, we've eliminated uh, God in many of the aspects. He's no longer in our schools. And then what happens is what replaces that is immorality. And immorality, um, Congressman Fisher Ames has a quote that I, I, is so accurate, I love. Uh, he said in 1805 that all of history lies open for our warning. Um, like a churchyard whose solemn lessons are chiseled in the hard stone of eternity. Lessons that thunder to republics, your passions and your vices forbid you to be free. And so that's sort of the challenge that we have is there's just a lot of immorality going on. Moses reminds the children of Israel over 50 times as they're headed uh, to the promised land after 430 years of bondage to over 50 times. He reminds them, you got to remember to follow the divine law, which are laws about morality. And so um, that would be the biggest problem that we have. So we have to restore, you know, the things that made America the greatest nation on earth. Alexis de Tocqueville in Democracy in America, that 700 plus page classic said, he searched for our genius in our agriculture and it wasn't there, in our commerce it wasn't there, in our deep seaports it wasn't there, in our rich and vast mines and it wasn't there. But he says, when I entered the churches, I saw that the pulpits were aflame with righteousness. And he says, America is great because she's good. If we cease to be good, we'll cease to be great. And then there's another saying, and I'll stop with this and apologize for hogging the conversation. No, no, no. But, but I love what he says. Um, at least this is attributed to him. But if the pulpits are no longer aflame with righteousness, could it be that people will no longer know the truth? 
and Washington was asked why the success of America. And he said it's the first time in human history where the best of Athens intersected Jerusalem. Get it? Jerusalem's religion, Athens is politics. And what's two things we were told not to talk about today is religion and politics. But but Washington said those two things, as they intersected the first time in history, is what made America the success that she is. Without a doubt. And, you know, the attack on the family is a large part of how how the far left has succeeded in, in getting us here to this point. And it, to me, it sounds just like you look at the, um, the, the past, you look at great uh, civilizations of the past, it seems there's a common element in there. There's a common thread that the exact thing that made them great empires or great civilizations is what was eroded over time whether it was their, their their moral foundation or you know what whatever it was there was always attack that brought that brought that foundational element down and turned the people away from it and what i always say is that when you are living in a society that doesn't where lots of people don't believe in a higher power than themselves they turn to self worship and today is the first really the first time in history in our, our lifetimes here is is when they've had so many tools to enable them to do that so you look at social media and you look at everyone's a narcissist and everyone wants instant gratification and you know i just think that that's that's a large part of what has caused the dilemma that we're facing today because uh as vera sharav who is a holocaust survivor she was in a documentary i did called breaking the oath as she said, the only standard today is no standard. And that, <laughs> that you know, as, as we look back in history, we've seen this all before, haven't we? And we've, yeah. we've seen what can happen. Boy, yeah, you, you, you said it well. And so we, we have been warned, right, in the scriptures as well as history. Um, there's historical data. Um, my chapters on education, I, um piggybacking off of what you said i'm just amazed that you could have i, I mean i i cannot comprehend what would possess a grown man to call up an elementary school and say can we come and dance provocatively and dress provocatively in front of your five and six year olds i mean what kind of a retrobate mind would want to do that but then you have a number of these schools saying, sure, come on in. And so to me, I mean, we're, we're at the bottom of the, of the trash heap when you think about it on how far we have slid. For anybody to think that that was normal and acceptable is, is horrible. Um, but, but here's some what I hope good news is. Um, have you noticed how many parents are going to school board meetings and saying, we don't want our kids indoctrinated by this social indoctrination. We want them to learn. I mean, America, if you look, we used to be number one in education. Uh, we're approach, approaching third world status now. I, I think in math, we're like 34th or something like that. I, I mean, we and, and we're losing gain, it seems like, every day. And so these parents are returning. That gives me hope for uh, 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 America because the yeah, 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 younger generation, you know, you would think, Oh, maybe they're messed up, you know, because they come from a lot of separated families. But it does my heart, my soul good to see that they're fighting for their kids because they want them to get serious about learning. And one other thing about education, my daughter used to be a professor at a college, and she reminds me, Dad, it's just not the immorality that you see in education these days. She says much of education across the board 
is lying. The very foundation of it is Marxist rhetoric, Marxist ideology, where what the, the goal is to separate the child from the parent so that the child becomes a ward of the state. Just like you mentioned, it happened in Nazi Germany. It happened in, you know, the Soviet Union, uh, the, you know, the Weimar Republic and, and you know, the, the fall of, uh, um, you know, the Soviet Union years ago. And so um, I, I think the thing is that those are challenges we face. But again, there, there is some hope when, when you see these young people uh, returning to school boards and fighting for that. So that, this is a battle we have to win because it is for the very soul and the mind of our children. C.S. Lewis, and, and I write this in my book in Restoring the Family, um, is, it's a fictional account of two demons talking to one another, the screw tape letter. Screw tape tells Wormwood, his nephew, that this young man whose life you need to destroy, he's had a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about in his mind since he's been a youth. The point of what screw tape, the demon, means is whoever controls whatever goes into the mind controls the soul. Whoever controls the soul controls ultimately that young man or young woman's eternal destiny, meaning either heaven or hell, right? And so what we put in our children's mind, we have to guard that, you know? And today... Right. That we're filling with a bunch of vain philosophies, as as screw tape demon says, a dozen incompatible philosophies, none of which are compatible with the truth. And part of education, if you go back, and I, and I talk about this in the book, part of education isn't just l learning facts and figures and accumulation of facts, but it's also um, has to be compatible with instilling virtues in us, because virtues increase your soul. And then that helps you to learn the right things. You know, in other words, you'll be able to figure out what's bad, what's good. So collectively, we need to enhance the soul and the mind together. That's what education used to be at one time, is those two intersecting mm -hmm. one another. Right. And who would have thought that we'd be in a time where universities, which were supposed to be the bastions of critical thought, you know, are, are what they are, which is just a communistic cesspool of lies and virtue signaling you know i think that uh, the people who stand up today and make a statement including those parents in in the school board meetings you know we're, we're watching we're witnessing a weaponized three letter agency alphabet soup that uh, has been weaponized against all of us but especially those of us that stand up or speak out and we're seeing that with the january sixers and uh you know it's just it's america's at a place that i'm sure I know my that uh, for me, and I'm sure for you as well, that you never thought you'd see. Oh. And uh, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, the the trying to segregate the children from the parents and the and the children's children's minds, you know, in school. And I think there was the first shot across the bow that really made me think was the footage they had of Al Gore saying, you know. Don't talk to your parents about this. Your parents don't don't know. You know you know better than your parents. And uh, you know I was, I was sitting there. I was kind of shocked by that because uh, here he was, you know, a, a VP, and he is uh, he's putting this wedge in between parents and children. And now it's quite evident that all of this is some sort of intentional and I think satanic type of uh, plan that's very very deliberate and dangerous. Oh. Absolutely. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, it, it, it is designed uh, to separate that. Um, and and um, you, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. 
And so on education, you know, the parents, we do have to go back and take back those things. But, you know, the, the handwriting's been on the wall for years. You know, you mentioned, did I ever think I'd ever see this? Gosh, the way I was raised, my gosh, we could play in the streets <laughs> till right. night. You know, we could walk uh, uh, to school without fear of being robbed or molested. I mean, things were so much simpler. Uh, neighborhoods were safe and good. My dad, we lived on a corner lot on a busy street, and he'd park his car, leave his uh, keys in the ignition. So because he wanted to, you know, so he didn't lose his keys. Car never got stolen or anything like that. And so we live in a tougher world today and uh, uh, it has become immoral. And so we have to restore those, 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 you know, virtues and those, that wisdom that's collective in, in history, as well as the, the scriptures, you know, that uh, Lincoln said, blessed only are those nations whose God is the Lord, you know? And so that's the that's the big challenge that we see going on. So as parents and as people who love their country, uh, we have a duty to get in there. And there's two things I want to point out that you said. Um, who'd ever thought we would hear guys like Al Gore say what he said? But uh, this politically correct speech, it, it's a good sign. It's a good sign because through history, it's been there for thousands of years. Um, they call it different things. But what happens is the politically correct speech they know they cannot win the argument. So that's why they resort to trying to shut us up by blaming us and accusing us because they don't want to talk about the issues. You know, if you listen to the Democrats get on and they talk about whatever McCarthy does or anything, all they, all they do is knock and mock what they're doing. They never actually go in and try to make a reasonable argument. So that gives me hope that we can win. The only problem is with, with people of faith and particularly politicians, friends of mine, we don't know how to make the argument strategic and intentional. We have to restudy a little bit about history, a little bit about the scriptures and the, the Constitution Declaration of Independence and restore those political and moral uh, uh, tenets back into our culture. And, and if we do that, we can win. The second, third thing is people have asked me as I speak all over, what do we have to do? What's the best thing that I can do? And what I tell them, is the most powerful thing is we have to speak out. We cannot let the gods of the PC movement try to shut us down and clam us up because when, when when we're silent, evil, uh, you know, expands, yeah. right? And so the thing is, we've already won the argument. The scriptures tell us, St. Paul in the book of Romans says that, that God has written the moral law, the moral law of right and wrong and truth on every person's uh, conscience and heart. And so the thing is, we can win. And also... And then, sorry, I'll, I'll kind of let quit going crazy here. But um, but when you look at the great, not politicians, but the statesmen throughout history, one thing that they had in common is they always took on the most difficult issues of the day that other people didn't want to talk about. Right. Lincoln took on slavery, um, you know, after Dred Scott had lost his case to be a free man at the Supreme Court. He runs against uh, Stephen Douglas. He makes that the issue. He loses that race. He runs for the presidency. The Republicans didn't want him. It took uh, three rounds of votes at the convention for Lincoln to finally secure the nomination. He wins, and he makes slavery the issue. Same thing with Winston Churchill studying his life, right? Mm -hmm. He knew Hitler had to go. He had read the book Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, in the 1930s. He knew Hitler's gig, what he was going to do. And, of course, the British people kicked him out of parliament, but he still kept making the case, making the case, making the case, speaking the people, small as five, ten people at a time. 
And then when Hitler invaded Czechoslovakia, and now he's on his way to France, the people wake up and they draft Sir Winston Churchill back in the service because he was not afraid to speak out. And the scriptures tell us the same thing, that our duty is to demolish arguments and tear down. I love those words, tear down every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so we have a duty to speak out. That's why I wrote the book, by the way, available on Amazon, The Road to Restoring the Family. But I, I gave it my best shot because I, I hope it, it it's one of those pegs in helping our country be restored. I, I pray that that would happen, not just for, for my kids. This isn't the only reason I do it. But remember, our kids are going to be raised with other kids. So at, right. at, during a time we try to make our kids and our grandkids better, we got to help other families and that type of thing, too, to restore our country. Because, again, um, the family is one of the, the key tenets for a solid uh, foundation. Uh, for a nation, for any nation at that. Amen. Amen. I, got, I have to take a three-minute break. So when we come back, though, I'd like to talk specifically about fatherhood. We'll take a, a quick break and be right back. You got it. Patriots, it's me, Wayne Alaroot, otherwise known as War. I have a very special announcement for all of you. My hit show, Wayne Alaroot, Raw and Unfiltered, is coming to the brand new station that's taking over the nation, Blessed News Network. God has opened a door in my life to be part of this amazing new Christian conservative network, live every night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on our channel on Roku TV, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and streaming live on the Blessed News iPhone and Android apps. Tune in to watch me drive home the truth and dismantle the fake news narrative with big name nightly guests and exclusive interviews with all the heavy hitters you know and love. Become part of history as we make America godly again and launch the first faith-centered conservative broadcasting network where Jesus Christ is commander in chief of all of our stories and where truth and integrity really matter. Join me Monday through Friday on any of our platforms or on the Blessed News website, blessed.news, where you can stream all the shows for free, or you can sign up for Blessed Plus for even more access to Raw and Unfiltered with me, Wayne Allen Root, the hardest working man in show business. Thank you, and God bless America. Steel News will be joining the Blessed News Network 11 p.m. weeknights. I'm Ann Vandersteel, and I'm very excited to be a part of the programming put together by Jake Lang. Doesn't matter if he's behind bars. He's a January 6th political hero, as far as I'm concerned. And Steel News will be reporting the truth of everything happening, not only in the swamp, but around the world to help you put into context 
what's really going on so you can make the best decisions for you and your family. Steel News, 11 p.m. on the Blessed News Network. All right, we're back with Senator Mike Morell from California. We, he has a book out called The Road to Restoring the Family, Leaving an Inheritance to Our, Chil Our Children's Children. And I have it up on screen right now. Mike, you can't see it, but uh, I have the Amazon site. So uh, there will also be a link in the show description, folks. So if you want to go check out the book and buy the book, you can just do that. Go right to Amazon. So, Mike, welcome back. First, first uh, part of the conversation, we got into quite a bit about past civilizations and kind of what we're seeing and why it's important to think not only about our children but our children's children but i'd like to get into fatherhood specifically with you because over time there has been something that has really bothered me as a as a dad and that is that the, the fathers have been depicted as you know complete idiots and in in our, our media and our television shows and all this other stuff and Fathers in particular have been attacked by the left, and in doing so, it's my belief that this is uh, the this is how the destruction of the family came about. Whether it was <clears throat> Margaret Sanger's attack on African Americans and and uh, putting Planned Parenthoods together to kill black babies, as she said, that's what she wanted to do, or you know, it's <clears throat> the far far left extremist feminists who say that traits that are generally good are toxic and um, we're seeing the ravages of fatherless homes now I think across the board aren't we oh yeah I spoke at a men's church breakfast just a few weeks ago and the assistant pastor actually worked at a detention center for teenagers uh, and he said that his statistics that they have there that 93 percent of those young boys or men uh you know like 16 to 18 years old come from fatherless homes um, my wife was watching a special on these young pretty girls that get in the prostitution and it's usually daddy issues and you you know you can just see it across the board um you know the the challenges on um that and how fatherhood is just diminished and the role of the father he's unimportant even in our sitcoms probably 20 30 years yeah. ago you started to see it where the father was the fool you know not father knows yeah. best anymore but father's an idiot and so on my book and sorry to promote it right now but this picture of the father walking down the road was strategic of mine because i i, I mean this book appeals to everyone right women just as many women buy it as men but the reason i kept that picture because i used to be in marketing um that's how i won my race for the senate i was in real estate i had i mean marketing is what what i what i've always enjoyed so of course i wanted a good picture on there right and so i struggled trying to find why well, I, I i need to expand my why you know widen my audience I, I need to find a picture i like that walking down the road with a father's home and son's hand but i need to get a mom in there and a daughter and then finally i, I really do think it was providential but this thought came across my mind and um where where i felt like you know i had been sort of showing uh, you know by by divine providence that that god is saying that my men are being destroyed through this through this em, being emasculated here in this country you know and so i felt like i was led that i needed to stick with that picture and it's been a great picture people appreciate it women even like it right um but but it's true it's, it's just because 
um, it, it sort of touches people's soul, I think, because um, people want to get back to that time. Um, I, m- our daughter just had her fifth baby uh, three days ago, right, uh, Nicole? Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. But but anyway, um, so now they have four daughters and one boy, and the boy's Micah. <laughs> and so uh, uh, our, our son-in-law is a basketball coach, but you, you just see the relationship with him and his boy. His boy just wants to be with his dad all the time. And he looks, when it, things go wrong, he looks for his dad for that security and everything. And I look at that relationship and I remember back with my sons, because I have three sons and one daughter, almost reverse. And, um, um, you know, what fathers project and how we lead our families is going to really help determine on how our young boys, as well as our daughters, you know, how, you know, the mates that they marry, and the paths they pursue really have a lot to do with how we give them, you know, a godly wisdom and direction in a very difficult life. There's so many landmines out there. And, and one of the things when our daughter was six months old, Joni and I were up in Lake Tahoe and we're walking uh, in this neighborhood with beautiful homes and I'm pushing a stroller and I see this one home about 5,000 square feet, a log cabin with a wraparound porch right there on the lake, right? And I told you, and I said, it'd be great if someday we could have a house like that and sit there in our later days and enjoy, you know, that view on the patio. And she said, yeah, a little while later, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, but wait a minute, what if our daughter, you know, is following the culture, she's lost her faith, and if we go on to have more kids, what could, could we, if they were sort of, if their souls were destroyed, would we be able to sit on that patio and enjoy that view in our later years. And Joni said, no, we would not be able to. And I just said, you know, hon, we got to think about these things right now, be strategically and intentional, and and with a lot of prayer, do our best so that we get in those later years uh, where our, jo- our joy is not going to be robbed. So we're going to try to, let's do whatever we, we'll sacrifice money, we'll downsize in a home, we'll drive crummy little cars, we'll do whatever we can to set her path Lord willing, on the right path, you know, and not that every kid's going to follow their parents' advice, but the thing is, we just wanted to increase their odds of success in a world that we saw that was getting very dangerous, and it's more dangerous now than it was then, and our daughter shares with us the challenges she has with her kids in this culture, and so it's important we pay attention to the most important things in our life because our kids are going to bring us the the greatest joy or the or, or the or the you know most sadness we can have depending on you know the paths they choose later in life yeah absolutely you had mentioned you've mentioned many times in our discussion here uh your faith in the church and you know during the covid pandemic and i think it became more and more apparent that the churches uh many churches aren't really filling the role that they used to fill either. They're also kind of virtue signaling in, in, yeah. This, yeah. in this whole thing. And um, you have any thoughts on that and what it takes to to get the churches to, to come back well, and uh, speak truth? Yeah, yeah. What I, I call them user-friendly, seeker-sensitive, culturally relevant, nonsensical psychobabble is what you got. Um, um, you know, you have churches that go to seminars on how to grow their church. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But unfortunately, uh, they often a- appeal to the culture. I remember speaking with one pastor and I-, I said, you know, do you take on the social issues, you know, a family, faith, you know, that sort of thing, life. 
And he said, he said, no, what we do is, uh, you know, we get them saved and then hope that, you know, God's spirit leads them. Right. And so I, 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 on his website, which is interesting, one of the first things they teach people to come to their church is tithing. And I'm thinking, why doesn't he trust God tithing? You know what I mean? In other words, mm -hmm. you know, he specifically wants to teach him the scriptures on tithing because it, you know, it, it, it helps his church, I guess, to grow. But the thing is, is we got to take on the most difficult issues. That's what men do. That's what good people of faith of both sexes, men and women do. And so I think the thing is, the church has become weak. But out of that weakness, there's some other churches that are becoming even stronger because we, we go to a church and, and our pastor is not user-friendly, seeker-sensitive. He takes on the most difficult issues of the day. And it's funny you say that during COVID, I, I think we've grown maybe a 300, I'm guessing, but a 300% growth. And I've noticed other churches throughout California specifically, there's some great churches that have grown while other ones have died. And, and mm -hmm. so I think the thing is, is people in today are looking for truth. They want to know, you know, what's right and what's wrong in, in a culture that it, where everything's going gray, right? You don't have black, you don't have white, you just have a lot of gray. And 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 uh, they a lot of these pastors want to tickle the ears. So we have to pray for the pulpits. But here's uh, another thing that gives me a little bit of hope. Um, years ago when I was in business, I tried to rally pastors to talk about moral issues. Um, I said, if you don't want to talk politics, don't talk politics, but let's talk about moral issues, right? And so it didn't go as well as I thought. But in the last five years, I've been asked to speak at different conferences with pastors. And, you know, one had 50 people there, another had 700 people. And so I've been to these conferences with pastors that have come from all over the United States. And I, I've had the opportunity to speak to approximately, I, I think, about 13,000 pastors. So they're tiptoeing back into the water slowly, but they're coming back. I think they know their 501c3s in debt. I think also they know the church is in a lot of trouble, that our demise, uh, all these things that we talked about 30, 40 years ago, like about Marxism taking away our faith, I think they see that on the horizon. So there are the smart ones or the ones that have a faith in God, I think are starting to tiptoe back in the water and recognize that, that they got to be serious about things. So I see hope there. Um, but on the other side of the coin, I, I, I see a lot of uh, uh, guys that are, I, I feel like maybe they're they're uh, playing for the other side. You know, they're useful idiots. And um, mm -hmm. and so maybe I shouldn't be that harsh. But um, but my biggest uh, <laughs> uh, thing that I dislike the most are, are uh, in, in uh, Dante's book. Uh, what's it? Uh, the Infernal, the infernal. Inferno, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, you know he talks about the seven layers of hell, and of course it's fictional, but there's a lot of truth in there. He said that the seventh layer of hell are reserved for the treasonous. You know, I hope he, I hope that proves to be true because I do not like traitors when it comes to people who are traitors against our country, and I specifically <laughs> do not like traitors of those people in the pulpit who are selling us down the line, and so. Um, so on one hand, I, I disdain those type of pastors. On the other hand, I, I, I see there is a movement that the guys who stand up and, and speak out about right versus wrong, um, it seems like they're flourishing at this time. And that, that brings me some kind of peace that there's hope for our future. I think that's awesome. And, and congratulations on 
being a, an effective part of bringing a lot of pastors around. That's important. I also think that we can thank God that the younger generation is can be depended on to be rebellious because I think that there are many young people, you mentioned the size of your congregation growing, there are many people who are rebelling themselves against what they see today and there's there's an uptick in younger people going back to church and, and finding faith and I think that's, that's a good sign. Uh, you know, and I look at uh, what's happening with us politically and what the pro the problem I see is that whether it's any government agency or if it's child protective services or any of these that we we discuss, uh, we're finding out that we when you don't have faith in them, you can't you can't trust them to go to them. So the very fabric of our society is is just kind of in this cycle or this loop of really um, loss of freedom and abuse of our, our young. And it's just, it's just so difficult, I think, because uh, you don't have those resources to go to that you used to be able to trust. Uh, so how do we get in the future, Yeah, in your mind, how do we get that trust back for what our system actually should be? Yeah. Um, Great question. Um, again, getting back to Washington said, we have to have faith and politics are the two most important things. Um, and so we have to restore and read, which a lot of people do, including I was amazed when I was up in the Senate in Sacramento, how many of my Republican friends had no idea. They love the Constitution. They they will agree with everything you and I say about it, that we need to restore it. But few have maybe taken the time to, to read it. And so the thing is, is look at uh, this. This is supposed to be, I mean, it starts off powerful, three powerful words. We, the people, uh, as Ronald Reagan would say, it doesn't start off. They, the government, he said, we, the people need to look at government as the automobile and we're the, we're the driver. We tell the car, which way to go, not the other way around. But today the politicians are telling us what, what to do. They're supposed to be our servants and not our masters. And so uh, we, the people, a government of, by, and for the people who are governed by consent, according to the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, which is the founding document, which the Constitution rests on, we, the people, have to restore this government. So we have to relearn these things and teach them to others. Um, because I, I believe the founders, with everything that's going on in politics, I think they would um, blame politicians, but I think the, the first set of people they would blame would be we the people because they gave us mm -hmm. a government of the people, right? But they said we had to know those things and learn them and understand them and read them, you know? And so I think the thing is we have to restore those political principles which limits government's power. There's only three branches of government, but today, and you sort of brought it up, uh, there's four branches. And the fourth branch would be the bureaucratic state, unelected bureaucrats, thousands of agencies, which are spending billions of dollars to tell us how to live our lives in business and faith and education. And they should be abandoned and abolished because they are illegitimate governments. And we, the people, for the most part, don't know that. Let me share something with you. I hear different, you know, elections, you know, like people of faith 
40% of them vote during one election. And I've heard another time, 38% of them vote. And then I heard that people, small business owners, maybe uh, 50 to 52% of them vote during elections. And I was at a Christmas party. And I remember this guy, he and his wife, jokingly, they came up and they said, uh, um, boy, how come you politicians are, are messing up our state? And I said, because people like you keep voting us in, right? <laughs> and so, and yeah, so, that's true. well, yeah, but the, remember, they, these people were people of faith and they were small business owners. And the wife, maybe they had too many glasses of wine. She said, well, you know, we haven't voted in the last four elections. And I said, you just identified the problem. You're, you're people of faith, you're small business owners. And you don't even get in the game to play to make it better. I said, you are actually the problem with our country. And there's millions of, of them just like you. We have mm -hmm. to exercise our civic responsibility. But we have to also understand what those documents say. So I would just recommend to your audience one of the best, quickest ways to, to get to the point is to go online and take uh, Hillsdale College's uh, course on the Constitution. It's it's excellent. And you, you'll, 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 it's like a master's degree course and, and it's free. But though that's what we have to do. I mean, the founders, remember the founding period, I have a book at home that, that says the founding period was 1730 to 1805. So these men didn't just walk in on July 4th, 1776, and in 10 minutes found the country. I mean, this thing took 75 years to found when you think about it, because you had the Declaration of Independence, there was eight different drafts that took a few years to finally agree on. And then you had a war which lasted, the uh, Revolutionary War, which lasted seven years. And then they had to write the Constitution, which took another six. And then they had to elect the president. And so, you know, these things take a lot of time, right? And so um, uh, we're not going to win this battle in one day. Freedom cannot be won with an easy fix. It cannot be won by, you know, just one, you know, like the thing about people say, we need term limits. Uh, term limits are good. They got them here in California and the people in California keep electing worse people. So that hasn't worked, right? Because freedom is tough. It's a long journey. It's a long fight. And we have to be prepared to, to, to get engaged with that to save our country. But also we have to take the wisdom of the founding fathers and restore the greatest government ever known uh, in all of human history. No one can argue that. It's given us more prosperity, more peace, more safety than any other, and more freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to be governed by consent, even property rights is the first right. time, right? And so we've been blessed. And so we we have to, again, restore those things. So your your question um, uh, about the you know how, how we get this back in government, it's up to the people to know those documents and then, and then force through voting the politicians to govern accordingly. Amen. That's very well said. Thank you so much for being here. We're at the end of our time already. It always goes so fast, but it's very interesting and you're welcome to come back anytime you like. And the book again of the road to restoring the family, leaving an inheritance to our children's children available on Amazon. The link is in the description. Uh, Senator, anything you'd like to say in closing? No, I, I just appreciate you allowing me on. I hope I didn't speak over you today. I get, Oh I get, no! I no. Get, well, people, people come to hear my guests, so that's great. I'm yeah, glad that you, I, uh... I, I get going and, and I can't stop sometimes, <laughs> you know. But, but well, the thing is, shows like yours, uh, what a culture that that you know. Again, I, I, I hope Providence is doing something through shows like yours because there's a lot of them popping up, 
and we're getting truth from you guys more than we are from CBS or uh, CNN, right? And so, yeah. you, so you have a place here, and and I just appreciate the good work and and the the truth and the facts and all, all the communications that you're getting out to our public and all the listeners. Um, uh, that that I think I think uh, I think these podcasts are going to be part of restoring our country. So thank you. Well, thank you so thank you so much. You know, I, I'll leave you with this thought uh, because it fits in really well with what you said. Uh, I went to an event that uh, Mike Lindell hosted called the Moment of Truth a couple of years ago, and there were 1,200 content providers that were part of that. And as we sat around the lunch tables during break, we got to network and and talk among each other. And every one of us had a story of how we never thought we'd be doing what we're doing now and how God brought us to this, what we're doing. I mean, for me, it was getting diagnosed with a disability and, and pulling me out of corporate America. And then I just started doing what I'm passionate about, right? And there's so many stories like that. So, you know, this it's, it's funny how there's this need and God fills this need by calling a bunch of people to tell the truth that the media won't tell. So, uh, you know, I, I really do think that um, that a lot of us are are doing God's work, and that's what we should be doing and should have been doing all our lives. But thank you so much again. You're welcome back anytime, sir. I thank you. Your time. Thank you. All right. You take care, and I will follow up with you on how to get. Uh, hold of the the video and stuff if you want to use it you can use whatever you like however you like so sounds good thanks for your time grateful you to bet. be here thank you thank you so much uh-huh. all right senator mike morell from california that was a very good discussion i'd love to hear what your thoughts are you can go to redbloodedpatriots.com you can check out this episode and others you can also go to my documentary website at America First Productions. That's the America, America, the number one ST productions.com and check out my documentaries over there. Uh, God bless you all. We will see you again tomorrow.